Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, February 11th now, the year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed, as you can see. We are nice and warm, which is much unlike our compadres outside right now here in Nashville. But we are back in studio. We are alive as live can be tonight. we got a jam-packed show, and we've got some different angles to maybe go at then. Oh, I don't know what you're seeing on the national scene today. I'm pretty confident we're talking about some different things here tonight. I'm going to talk about... Uh, for my money, something I've never broached as a topic on the show before, and that is uh, video games, but not necessarily a gaming segment. Uh, it has just as much to do with you if you couldn't care less about video games as it does uh, the the gamer fanatics out there. I know because I don't ever play video games and it matters to me. I'm going to tell you exactly why. Uh, and I somehow... I'm going to work in probably a second Rookie of the Year reference in as many weeks from a movie standpoint. Also, we're talking about Georgia's position for 2021. All this stemmed from a question on the podcast the other day about uh, whether Georgia was positioned on a national level the same way Florida was positioned this year in the SEC East. So we'll talk about that. And also the Mood Tracker segment is back. We've been doing these pretty much since the new year, easily since the national championship game. And we'll continue to roll through all that. So I appreciate you being with us tonight. I also want to just give you a quick thank you, as I often try and do every week or so on the show. You know, we try and be as direct with you and relatable with you as possible. I talk to you guys uh, through DMs and through emails all the time. And so you own the show. I tell you that all the time. I'm not messing around. We don't stack the show for us. We stack the show for you. And I also want to thank you because people pay attention. You know, the interactivity that we have together, it, it gets noticed. And so I just want to, you know, reassure you, you know, some things happen behind the scenes that maybe you don't see, but a lot of what you have put in motion helps us behind the scenes to ultimately, here and down the road, bring you more of what you want to get you away from maybe some of the other stuff out there that you don't so much want. So I've read you loud and clear, and we are working on bringing you more of that. So let's get into the show tonight, because we've got a lot of different angles to go through. Even in February, that O word, that off-season. Not around here. We don't believe in off-seasons around here. Where is Georgia in 2021? I put a poll up on Twitter earlier today, which sometimes I do heading into a show, and I want to pull it up right now. So here's what I put out there. You can vote in real time in your mind, whether you're driving around listening to the podcast or watching us on YouTube. I just said, Kirby Smart has not won a title at Georgia yet. That's a fact. And then I followed it up. And and then here were the two options. Either he never will or he eventually will. What do you think about that? Georgia fans, I'm interested in your take. And you can put it in the comments if you want to. You can email me, whatever. And also, equally as interested am I in the takes of just college football nation in general. Because here's what I think I and a lot of you have come to realize. If you'll look around and, and you'll just look around, whether it be Twitter, whether it be at the barbecue hut at lunch, whether it be wherever you are, at work around the water cooler. I don't think that the average college football fan has ever had more opinion than they do now. You could attribute that to a myriad of different reasons, but but it all comes back to the central hub of an idea that everyone's got an opinion on everything now. That's not a bad thing. I think that we're allowed to do what we do for a living because of that very thing. So I love that. But I think it's really fun sometimes to juxtapose the ideology or mentality and opinions of a fan base 
and then go outside the four walls of that fan base and look at what the rest of the country thinks about a program. So Georgia football right now. I get a question in the inbox. We were about to record Late Kick Extra uh, last week sometime, I think it was, in the podcast form. And we do that Tuesday and Thursday morning, by the way. And someone asked, hey, Georgia in 2021, do you think they may be, from a national championship standpoint, in the same position that Florida was coming into this year, this past year, from an SEC East standpoint? And what they meant by that is, you know, we talked about it on this show. Florida, I kind of bought into the idea, as did many Florida fans, that it was a if not now, then when sort of mentality for Dan Mullen and the Gators. And they were coming in and like they, they knew they had a quarterback edge. They had a, a comparable enough roster, a competitive enough roster. The schedule turned their way. And so the basic line of thinking was, well, OK, if, if we don't get it done this year, if we don't beat Georgia and at least go to Atlanta this year, when are we ever going to do it? And they did it. So now the question from the submitter the other day was, OK, how about Georgia for a national title? Because now shoes on the other foot. Georgia's looking like a prime playoff contender. They've got JT Daniels. They've got plenty of weapons at wide receiver. They've recruited as well as anyone in America. You look at the roster, like where are they going to be lacking? And it's a fair question. But then here was the follow-up. So should the mentality be, if Georgia doesn't win one this year, they're never going to win one. And listen, i got to be honest with you. Initially, I kind of scoffed at the idea. But then the more I floated it out there and the more I did, you know, my own unique market research, which usually consists of texting buddies I know who are in the fan base, I found out that this is a more widely held assumption than I ever thought it was. Because to be honest with you, I think it's kind of laughable. Uh, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing anyone's opinion. I'm just going to tell you why I fully disagree with that. So my answer to the question is absolutely not. No way 2021 is some do or die, make or break now or never situation for Georgia because of the answer to this question. And there are several answers to it. Let me ask you, now just picture a generic team going into a year. What does it take for that generic team to be a perennial contender? What does it take? 2021 and beyond. Let's talk 2021, I guess. What does it take? Well, you know that they've got to have a certain baseline of just roster talent. I think we can all agree No matter what you think about Kirby Smart, the guy has assembled a championship roster. So we can go ahead and knock that pin down. We've already got that. You've got to be, I think, dynamic at quarterback, not necessarily to contend for the playoff, but to get in it and win it. You certainly have to be dynamic at quarterback. And if you look at who they've brought in right now, they've got JT Daniels. He will be their starter this year. Your opinion of him is your opinion of him. We've got plenty of time in spring and summer to talk about him, but at the very least, it's a nice piece of the puzzle that's been figured out there. But also, you got Brock Vandergriff coming in. Now we're talking about the future. That's a five-star guy. You've got Gunnar Stockton currently committed for the 2022 class. That's another five-star guy. So not only do you have a current element in place that checks that dynamic quarterback box, you got two of them coming in. I mean, maybe they don't all stay on the roster over the next four years. That's not the way quarterbacks work these days, but you've got that box checked. What else do you need? Well, I think... And I was being kind of conservative here. I think you need at least a B-plus game day coaching staff. They don't have to be able to grease board you to death. They don't have to be able to play call you to death. They do need to be at least B-plus, not to get through the SEC East, not to get into the playoff, but to win a championship. You got to have at least B-plus. And listen, I'm asking you, because I think they check all those boxes at Georgia. So I'm asking you, where do they fall short to the degree that right now 58.7% of you believe that literally if Kirby Smart and Georgia don't win a title this year, he never will. Because I can't really wrap my mind around that. There is a big gap, as we talked about last month, there's a very big gap between the word can't or cannot versus hasn't or have not. 
Georgia has not won a national championship under Kirby Smart yet, but to take the stretch, to take the leap, which is over a Grand Canyon, figuratively, as far as I'm concerned, to thinking that, well, since he hadn't done it already, he never will, is crazy to me. I know how hard it is to get there. Maybe maybe they're learning how hard it is to get there. I get it. I remember you know, when Auburn got there in 2013, and they were 13 seconds away, and I was doing talk radio down in Columbus at the time, and all the callers said, oh, well... You know, it's only his first year. We'll get there again. Uh, no, you won't. They never did. Now, Georgia got there in 2017, smart second year. And uh, listen, I, I'm sure there is a lot of folks who think, well, don't worry, they'll have another shot. Well, they haven't so far. But man, he's he's going into his seventh year right now. Let me hit you with something. I want you to think about this. The best coaches in America right now. Saban is in his own galaxy. So who else are we talking about? We're talking about Ryan Day. We're talking about Dabo Swinney. Kirby Smart, the guy, if you're watching on YouTube, that you see on your screen right now, Kirby Smart just finished his sixth year in Athens. I just want to do a little comparative analysis right quick. Because think about that guy at Clemson. Think about Dabo Swinney. Do you know what he was doing in his sixth year at Clemson? This is a guy who has racked up multiple titles now. Dabo Swinney, in his sixth year at Clemson, had not only yet to win a title, he was in the process of losing three games and going to something called the Russell Athletic Bowl. Okay, so that's what he was doing. So I'm sure I could have found uh, people a dime a dozen in the process who would have told me at the time, Dabo Swinney, not only has he not won a title, he can't win a title. One would have been true. The other, as it turns out, would have been total garbage. Uh, There's a big difference. So that, that whole can't versus hasn't, we need to be careful with that. Now, I understand we're not wagering money on this, but I'm a big, I'm a big fan of only letting things come out of your mouth that you're willing to back up with your wallet, especially when we're talking in the predictive tense and the future tense. So the Twitter poll, it ended up with about a 59 to 41 split of folks thinking he never will versus he hasn't yet. I understand that uh, 1,400 votes on my Twitter account, not exactly scientific, but I have found a lot of you guys are pretty honest on this. And here's what else I found. Now, this, I think, really um, probably blows me away more than anything. I got some Georgia buddies who are willing to, maybe not publicly, you know, if I Skyped them or Zoomed them in right now, they wouldn't do this, but they are willing to privately confide in me that they've started to have their doubts. And I don't get it. It's I'm going to do the same thing with Miami later in the show. I have found that I am more confident in the future of certain programs out there than segments of their own fan bases. When we do the mood trackers, which we're going to do in a little while, not with Georgia tonight, but with Miami and Auburn, that's why we cut the 10% of the most optimistic and most pessimistic fans out of the equation. Not that you don't matter, but it's not giving us a true read of the middle of the road average fan and what their mood is. So I got to think, man, I mean, we did the mood tracker with Georgia already. They're going to have several shots at this. I can't find a season anytime soon where they're going to enter it and they're not one of anywhere from the six to 12 teams annually that fit all the criteria that it takes to compete for a title. And then once you're in there, you know, it's like the blindfolded kid, you know, little Josh, Harris County Carver Middle School, and I walk in there and it's the last day of class and, you know, we're swinging at the pinata trying to get the candy. Well, if I swing once and I miss, I just keep swinging. I know it's in here somewhere. Uh, They wouldn't screw me out of the opportunity, so I'm blindfolded, but I keep swinging. Some programs only get to swing once every decade. You know, like Iowa State is gearing up for a playoff run this year. They get a big swing. But then that roster is going to be gutted and it's going to be a little while for Iowa State. Washington a few years ago, they got their shot. 
but then they had to wait and they hadn't been back. George is in the room every year. Georgia swings, they fall down, everyone laughs at them, they get right back up, they get to swing next year. So that's what Georgia is right now. And so to answer the question um, that I could have asked in about two minutes, but answered it in about seven minutes, no. No, it's not do or die this year. I'm sure there'll be some warranted criticism maybe if they don't get it done this year, but I mean, you're telling me they go to the playoff or, or lose in the championship game again. What is that a failure? I guess to some, you know, if, if the benchmark is championship, I guess it's a failure. No, um, if you're selling your Georgia stock, let me let me put it like this. I'll buy it. You, you have a market over here for Georgia stock. All right, let's roll on. Uh, as I said, we got a lot of mood trackers still to do. I have read the emails. I have read the DMs. I have gotten all the requests. So as I've told you, uh, we've got, believe it or not, we've got several months until toe meets leather in the fall and we start the 2021 season. Now we're trying to make that time pass as quickly as possible, but we've got plenty of time is my point to get as many mood trackers in as we can. And so, as I've told you forever and forever and ever, it will be, you drive the show, you determine the content. I had probably between two and three dozen Miami fans after last week's shows, email me or DM me on Twitter and say, please give me a Miami mood tracker. With that in mind, let's talk about the mood tracker in Coral Gables. Miami right now, I just told you a few minutes ago in the Georgia segment, I'm going to reiterate it here as we start talking about the Canes. I have come to the stark realization now that I'm higher on the future of Miami football than even some of our Miami fans are. I was over on Inside the U, our 24-7 Sports Miami board and website earlier today, and like an hour ago, I was going back and forth, and sometimes when I'm going to do the mood tracker, if I know in advance enough, I'll just go over to the board and I'll ask over there. You know, I asked our Miami fans today, what do you think? What's your mood? And it looked like the overwhelming consensus was cautiously optimistic. I, I think that's probably the most commonly uh, referred to mood amongst fan bases that aren't terrible. You know, there's always optimism this time of year. There's always optimism going into the spring. You're looking at Miami's 2021 schedule right now if you're watching on YouTube. And, uh, you know, if, if we can just for a second take our hand and cover September 4th, <laughs> they open against Alabama is my point. Uh, there is a lot to be excited about there. And obviously Alabama's not a conference game. Uh, they got Michigan State, by the way, September 16th. That'll be fun. And the, we're going to rekindle the flame of that old Miami versus Central Connecticut State rivalry on September 25th. So hooray for that all around. But my point here is, there's cautious optimism, and I sense it's leaning towards legitimate optimism. I'm going to give you my thoughts in a second. So I talked a, a few minutes ago about why I think I'm a little more optimistic, maybe even than some of our Miami fans are. I'll tell you that in a second. I think I've visited this topic or at least broached it already recently. But there are several reasons. Just go to the mood track. Just the raw mood right now. I don't know why in the world you wouldn't be optimistic if you're a Miami Hurricane fan right now. There are several reasons to. Let's just, in no particular order, like, I mean, there's, there's, there's no corresponding graphic for this. You already know. Uh, Florida State's down, so that's always a good thing. There's, there's one elephant in the room over here that we'll address in a second. The ACC is very uh, navigable, if you will. Again, there, there's just one big iceberg out there, but, you know, you can see it. You can see it 10 miles away. Um, doesn't hurt any less when you run into it, but you can see it at least. But there are a lot of good things happening here. Uh, I think Manny Diaz made a very tactical, sound decision his second year in. So he goes and he hires a coaching staff, and he just realizes right off the bat, I made some mistakes. I screwed some stuff up. I am not going to give this experiment three or four years before I pull the trigger. Boom, boom, boom. They made some coaching moves. They brought in, for instance, Rhett Lashley. Now, Rhett Lashley was not on that staff to begin with, but then he comes in 
It also turns out that Miami could, uh, oh, I don't know, become one of those quarterback destination programs. Derek King agrees to come in. That was a huge deal. So you get this infusion of talent, uh, and more on that in just a second, that whole infusion of talent concept. But also, he's upgraded the coaching staff. He continues to upgrade the coaching staff. Recent moves withstanding. He's continued to do that. And also, recruiting continues to uptick. Now, here's what hasn't happened. What hasn't happened is he hasn't done something that would just set off this mushroom cloud figuratively for the rest of the sport where everyone collectively looks and says, uh-oh, Miami's going to win the national title this year. It hasn't been that. It's been the more realistic kind of brick-by-brick brick approach, stuff that a lot of people think is coach speak, but it's actually, oh, I don't know, the blueprint to build a successful organization. And so look at recruiting. I was sitting right here on this desk with Steve Wolfong last week. It was National Signing Day. And we were talking about the, the shades of optimism that you could have if you're a Miami fan. Leonard Taylor stays home. That's the kind of guy who could have easily gotten away to Alabama. However, just on the other side of that token, Dallas Turner does get away to Alabama. So it's not all roses. Uh, just as much as it's exciting to keep James Williams in Florida. Aggie A. Hall, Christian Leary, they leave Florida. It's not like they've locked down the state. They're improving on their in-state recruiting. And they're certainly not getting run out of the building by anyone else in the state of Florida. So all that's well and good. You obviously have the Clemson iceberg out there. And I think that's what gives a lot of trepidation. If I did nothing more than pluck Clemson and drop them in the SEC and kept everything as is about Miami, there would, there would be optimism boiling over. Because all of a sudden you'd know uh, outside of Clemson, we may very well have the best football product in this conference right now. Whether that's true or not, you'd have reason to believe that. And so let me ask you this. So, so we got the Clemson problem over here, and it is what it is. Clemson did not become what they were overnight. You can't become what you hopefully want to be overnight. But I just talked, if you're watching the full show, I just talked like five minutes ago about what Clemson once was. There was a thought. Everyone forgets this. It's like ancient history and, and revisionist history leads some who are new to the college football table to believe that Clemson's always been a powerhouse. Dabo took over and, you know, it was one or two years and then boom, they take off. That ain't the way it happened on a national level. That is not the way it happened. It was seven years in before Dabo Swinney played for a national championship, won a national championship, well, won it the next year, but, but they weren't, they had several mountains to overcome. West Virginia hung 70 on them in an Orange Bowl, in case you've forgotten. Florida State ran them out of their own building, and that was in a time where Clemson thought they were ready. Like, they, they had arrived. It was a top-10 matchup. They found out twice, emphatically, nope, we're not quite where we thought we were. It's the same growing pains Miami's going through. Uh, they just, they never hit the reset button at Clemson. They just kept right on, kept right on, kept right on. And because the ACC was, was otherwise still manageable even back then, even in their, what you would consider down years, they were still winning 9, 10, 11 games, uh, but they'd always have a 2 or a 3 in the loss column, including postseason play. They just kept going. Uh, so credit Clemson. Use it as a blueprint. You want to beat them. Their success has no doubt left clues. And so, I mean, they didn't invent the formula for success any more than McDonald's invented the hamburger, but they sure have perfected their own process there. You just got to do the same thing. Now let me circle back around to why I may be even more optimistic certainly than a lot of outsiders and maybe even some insiders when it comes to Miami. Talked about this last week, I think Colin, maybe two weeks ago. I talked about what the future holds. Sometimes you're in the wrong place. You know, you could talk about Nebraska and maybe how college football and the, the shifting dynamics has left that program behind. Well, I could talk inversely about Miami right now 
And I could every bit paint the picture for you that college football is coming to them. They don't have to do anything. They can sit where they are in South Florida. They can be an attractive program and wait for two different axes to converge. And it'll converge right over places like Coral Gables. It'll converge, I think, over places like Georgia Tech and Atlanta. And that is name, image, and likeness eventually converging with the transfer portal. It is very easy when I paint the picture of NIL, it is very easy to envision Miami recruiting, kicking it up a notch when you can do things that you can't do right now. I don't even think, like, I'll leave that to your imagination. Oh, it's all legal. In that context, it's all legal when we eventually um, cross that bridge. But also the transfer portal, like I, I think some people around that program get it. I don't think maybe the country understands how set up for success programs, well, there aren't many of them, but Miami in particular, a power five program in South Florida, which is going to be a default fallback option for untold amounts of talent annually that left South Florida one or two years ago and just want to go home. Maybe things aren't working out. Maybe they're homesick. Maybe they don't like the dynamic. Maybe the coaching staff that recruited them got fired at you know Tennessee or Texas A&M or wherever they are, and they just want to go home. How nice is it to be the Power 5 program in the backyard of any South Florida kid who's looking to come home? What do you think they're going to do? Where do you think they're going to want to go over to um, try out things at Florida International? Like, no knock on the Panthers over there. Miami's where they're going to want to go. What does Miami have to do? They don't have to do anything but sit there and be themselves. And it's you were probably involved in their recruitment to begin with. And so on top of the moves Manny Diaz is already making from a staff perspective and from a recruiting perspective – what Florida's doing right now, what Oklahoma's doing right now, capitalizing on the portal, that's going to be Miami. It's going to end up being Miami. Like that move when Derek King transferred and everyone was, you know, over the moon excited, that will end up being the norm at Miami. And let me tell you something. I don't care if it's by way of classical recruiting or by way of portal recruiting. When they finally hit a grand slam instead of just a home run at the quarterback position, then we'll start talking about them in that Clemson conversation because they're not there right now. The roster's not there right now. Quarterback position, God bless Derek King. Hope he has a speedy recovery. But even with him healthy, we saw those two teams match up on the field. There's no contest this past year. That doesn't mean they can't get there. Remember, big difference between can't and will never get there. They just haven't gotten there yet. So I've got I got a lot of excitement. I, I think that's one of the – if you gave me four or five programs to put on a list for you, to watch over the next five years and to you know buy stock in over the next five years, that's another one. You know, Georgia's already Georgia's already established. We talked about them a little while ago. I think there are far more doubters out there from Miami, uh, but that's a program that, you know, it bears close watching. And if it's listen, I think it's gonna be Manny Diaz, but even if it's not him, if things were to go worst case scenario, two years from now, they're hitting the dump button on Manny Diaz. Everything I just said is still valid. It's set up perfectly for someone to come in. And, uh, you know, if you put the right person behind the wheel of a Ferrari, they can do some really incredible things in that vehicle. So Miami, they're the Ferrari. Who's going to do the incredible thing in that vehicle? You're looking at Manny Diaz on your uh, screen right now. Hopefully it's him. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. 
When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Let's move on. As I told you the other day, uh, so some of the some of the programs out there that have had coaching turnover, LSU comes to mind. We're about to talk about Auburn in a second. I told you, uh, yes, I was getting your requests. I wanted to wait. I wanted to pump the brakes a little bit because I wanted to make sure everything was set. I mean, it's, we've had a lot of assistant coaches, even after head coaches have been hired. We've had them, you know, coming in, going. It's been really weird this year. Um, I mean, I haven't, I haven't done a South Carolina mood tracker, or I was very hesitant to do one for that very reason. So at Auburn now, we got Harson in there, like we got everybody. So now I feel comfortable. Let's get to it. Auburn mood tracker. Here we sit, early February of 2021. I always timestamp it so when I go back and watch these in the future, I know exactly where I was. It, this is a first. This is a brand new mood. We're, we're unveiling it. We're debuting it tonight. I doubt we have any B-roll for this kind of mood, but it is scratch-off status. What in the world do you think I mean by that? Let's uh, let's be safe here. We are live, so let's be safe. Auburn understood the score. Let me, let me back up. A lot of people at Auburn understood the score. When they got rid of Malzahn, I'm not, I'm not going to rehash whether he should have been fired or not. It is what it is. When Gus Malzahn was shown the door, when he was given his walking papers, enough people at Auburn, including athletic director Alan Green, they knew the score. And here's what the score was. Have you ever heard the old adage, you'll invest $10 the same way you'd invest $10 million? Has anyone ever told you that? Because for the purposes of the next four or five minutes of your life, I want you to wad that advice up. I want you to throw it out the window. Because that... Uh, that was frowned upon by Auburn. Auburn said, if we had $10 million, we could go get anyone we want to. I mean, we could completely overhaul everything, and we could have a proven national championship winning coach in place by next week. That wasn't the set of circumstances. They knew it even before they fired Malzahn, or the, if they didn't, they should have. Here's what they knew. They had 10 bucks in their hand, again, figuratively, and sometimes when you got 10 bucks in your hand, instead of looking for a way to invest the 10 bucks, you just go to the 7-Eleven, and you buy 10 scratch-offs. And you know it's not wise. Like financially, that's nothing Dave Ramsey would instruct you to do in a workshop. However, you've heard stories before. Every time you walk in that 7-Eleven, you look behind the counter, and there are all the examples on the wall of people who have won $7,500, $11,000, $275,000 at this little gas station spending $1 or $2 on a scratch-off. It could happen. JP, angels in the outfield, flap those arms. It could happen. And so Auburn went into scratch-off mentality because they looked around and they said, you know what? No one's heard of Brian Harson. We hadn't heard, we hadn't even heard the name Brian Harson in regards to Auburn 10 minutes before they made the announcement. But they looked around finally when things had subsided and the right people had control of the steering wheel. And they said, what are we trying to do here? We got to compete against Nick Saban every year, Jimbo Fisher, Kirby Smart at Georgia, LSU's a year fresh off a national championship. Here's what we could do. We could either take a quote-unquote proven route, a conventional route, and probably never surpass those guys, even if everything works out. You know, Kevin Steele, Billy Napier, Mario Cristobal. I mean, those were guys who have learned under Nick Saban, and those are guys who, you know, if history is any indication, 
probably weren't going to be the guys to overtake him. So Auburn, the powers that be there, they look around and they know we got to slay dragons, plural. One of them being the best of all time, but really several of them. And so we look around and instead of investing this $10, let's just go try the scratch off mode. It could fail spectacularly, but really if it does, where would we be that we aren't already? Now, this was not my opinion. I thought things were a lot better than they were painted to be under Malzahn, but you didn't think that, so that's all that matters. But they went and they bought the scratch off, and they went to Boise, Idaho, and they got Brian Harson. Brian Harson has won games. Brian Harson is a proven commodity as a head coach. He's not a hotshot coordinator, but yet there are obviously several unknowns, even if you're the most hardcore of Auburn supporters about whether he'll fit there, like, you know, obviously the typical questions we don't need to waste time asking. But there's a bit of kind of a fragment in nature right now, even about the Auburn fan base, because uh, obviously that's down really near where I'm from. So again, my research method is just text 15 of my Auburn buddies. What do you think? And wait for the I, Josh to respond. And there is our show research. And believe me, the extent of the research for this topic, because you just got to kind of feel it. I talk to you guys all the time. You got to kind of feel the mood. And the mood right now is they hope they hit a grand slam. You know, instead of trying to lay down a bunt, instead of trying to, you know, put it on the ground and leg it out, they went for the grand slam. It has paid off before. It has paid off in in very big fashion from coaches coming from that part of the country before. Urban Meyer, probably most famously coming in from Utah, and everyone thinks the SEC is about to teach that guy a thing or two about football. He taught the SEC a thing or two about football. Dude, revolutionized the conference. That is where the comparisons for now on this show will end between Urban Meyer and Brian Harson, but they hope. And here's where the fragmented nature of the fan base is. The most optimistic of Auburn fans, like they're willing to dive in headfirst, whoever you put in front of them, even if they didn't originally support the hire. Once the press conference has been had and once the dust has settled and he's our guy, we're all in for him. Literally, that's what they'll put on the t-shirt, all in. And then you got this other group. Now, everyone's going to pull for him to succeed, but you got this other group that, as far as I can tell, probably is of equal or maybe a little bit bigger in size, and they are hopeful, but they still have doubts uh, because here's how I would put it, and here's the best way I can sum it up, and here's how they think. If the Georgia job had come open, so they are not emotionally attached to it, if the Georgia job had come open and Georgia had hired Brian Harson. A lot of these Auburn fans would look and they'd make fun of the hire um, because they would say, why did you get that guy? Like, couldn't you have done better? Well, uh, what about a guy winning kind of at Boise, Idaho is going to translate to the University of Georgia? And so they know they would say that if the dude was at Georgia. So now he's theirs. And that's the only difference. So they're hopeful and they hope the doubters are wrong. But they, in the back of their mind, again, when they're amongst themselves, not publicly, when you're talking amongst yourselves, you're wondering, is this guy going to haul in recruiting classes, the likes of which we have to have, not just to compete against Alabama? Like I know that's the, that's the elephant in the room, pun intended, but you got to beat every year. You got to at least compete against every year four of the top six or seven recruiting programs in America. I maintain, I say this all the time, that when combining expectation and challenge, this is the hardest job in America because that is the only program in America. When you're looking at the schedule, which we're showing you right now, you got LSU, not some years, every year. Georgia, ditto. A&M, ditto. Alabama, ditto. This is a job where you could theoretically finish eighth in the recruiting rankings and be fourth uh, in your own division or on your own schedule when it comes to teams you have to play every year. And so here's the doubt amongst Auburn fans. 
Recruiting rankings aren't everything. The most talented roster doesn't always win. Development is the name of the game, but recruiting to get the talent to develop, recruiting and culture, those are also a couple more names of the game. It's not normally pluralized, but it was right now. But they're looking around and they're saying, is this guy, is this Brian Harson guy, is he going to recruit at a high enough level? And if he's not, if he's a guy that floats in like the, the 8 to 12, 13, 14, 15 range, is he a guy, and is his staff a staff that we can count on to realistically out-coach and out-scheme some of the best in America? Because the thing about Alabama, the thing about A&M, the thing about Georgia, uh, the, these aren't places where you have uh, knuckle-draggers on the sideline who just happen to come upon this wealth of talent, but they have no clue how to coach their way out of a wet paper bag. No, they're pretty good in all departments. So to match them, you're either going to have to try and out-scheme uh, one-third of your schedule every year, or you're going to have to go talent for talent. Sometimes, sometimes you just got to have the better players. And so I think that's where a lot of the doubt stems. But that's going to be a two- or three- or four-year answer. The first-year answer is going to be this. What is Brian Harson and what is Mike Bobo? What are those two going to be able to do with Bo Nix? Because Bo Nix is like this great unknown in college football. Uh, his name has been trashed because he was in a program very ill-equipped to develop any kind of quarterback. So a lot of people have looked at his development and his production therein, and they've just thought Bo Nix is probably not a good quarterback. I don't buy that uh, because I, listen, I, I was close to him. I followed him in high school. I covered him in a lot of cases in high school, but I've seen the guy play. I know who his peers were coming out in his class, and I thought he was very comparable to them at the high school level. He went to the wrong program, point blank, to develop him as a quarterback. I know what the emotional attachment was. I, I know why he's there. I know who his dad is. But uh, now, hopefully, he's got a duo and a head coach and, more importantly, an offense coordinator that understand how to properly develop the position and understand how to develop him as a decision maker and as a passer. Ah, man, it's a big question mark. But, you know, if that question is answered in definitive terms, in positive terms, you know, maybe there's maybe that's the ray of sun that you need in year one that lets you know better days are ahead. Because I can guarantee you there are a lot of high school coaches, uh, there are a lot of recruits out there who are watching this every bit as anxiously as you are and as I am because you don't know definitively who Brian Harson is. I, I don't know what to expect. Well, we're not the ones trying to decide if we're going to spend some of the most important years of our life playing for the man. They are. And so that's... Um, that's, that's another one of those programs. You know, it's a familiar theme tonight. Miami, that's one to watch. Auburn, big program to watch in 2021. All right, let's move on here. I wanted to wrap up with a pretty unique segment. This is not something that I don't think we've ever talked about it, to be honest with you, on this show. The EA Sports video game, college football, that's about as generic as I can put it. You can see on the screen right here. It was a tweet that came out last week. It uh, garnered a lot of attention, trust me, in the college football world, both for gamers and non-gamers. This is not a gaming segment. For those of you already trying to hit the X button, I want to assure you, it's not a gaming segment. I, myself, I don't even play them. The last video game I played and the last one I bought, I kid you not, was NCAA Football 05. I think that was 05, the one with Reggie Bush on the cover. I hadn't even played one since then. That was on uh, an original PlayStation, by the way, or maybe a PS2. So uh, it's been a while. For, for your guy here. However, this is so extremely important for college football. You know, I, I get correspondence from a lot of you when we're talking about college football. And a lot of people want to look at the playoff structure, for example. Or a lot of people want to look at the imbalance and equity in the sport. And they always want to talk about what's good or bad for the health of college football. This thing we're talking about right here, this football or this college football game potentially reemerging on the gaming market. Oh, that's big. 
I'm going to tell you why it's big, because I think it may be common sense in one thread, but in another thread, it's not. So the quick timeline here, it's gone away since 2014. I think 2014 was the last version. Denard Robinson was the last guy on the cover. You had the whole Ed O'Bannon lawsuit. Um, I think sort of that was the popularized narrative as to why this went away. But you also had a whole lot of licensing disruption out there where EA Sports couldn't come to terms with various conferences or programs. Can you imagine, by the way, Think about trying to produce this product and how many, it's so decentralized. College football is so decentralized. So how many different people, how many different checks you're having to get, how many different signatures you're having to get. Ugh, what a headache. God bless the people in charge of this. But the hunger never went away. The game went away. The market for the game never went away. So here is what I would wonder. If I were you, if I were 28, 48, or 68, and I'm sitting there and I'm not really, I'm not really interested in video games, why should you care about this? Well, if you care about college football, Here's why you should care about it. So the young demographic, I'm not telling you anything you probably don't already know if you've even taken an intro to marketing class. It is imperative. It is the lifeblood of maintaining uh, the overall traction of any sports league out there, but really any brand in general. You've got to have continuous brand rejuvenation. That's an untechnical term that I use all the time. There's several really fancy marketing terms out there that I won't waste your time with. I want to take you back to the early 90s, but I don't even want to talk about college football. Uh, Major League Baseball in the early 90s, 1994, they went on strike. And so there was no 94 season. There was no 94 World Series. The 95 season started late. Atlanta Braves ended up winning one and only World Series that had ever come to Atlanta. But uh, that's, that's a side note. So baseball goes away. Much has been written and talked about what happened to the sport in the early and mid-90s and then probably a whole lot more has been written about what brought everyone back. And if you're of any age, you know, if you're over the age of like 30 or you've done your own research, then you've probably heard everyone credit the 1998 home run race as the seminal moment, the central theme of what brought a lot of younger fans and fans in general, but specifically the the summer of love, as they called it at the time, it was McGuire, it was Sosa, Everyone felt good. I was home over the past weekend in the bottom of a box of some of my stuff. I have the newspaper clippings from the home run chase that year that I cut out of the Columbus Ledger Inquirer. So yeah, I was captivated by it. But as much as that's credited, and I promise this is going to tie into the EA Sports video game in a second, there is a great underreported facet that kept young kids, and I know because I was one at this time, there was something that not only didn't drive us away, there was something that kept us at the table even when baseball stopped, and it was movies. If you'll think back to the mid to late 80s through the mid to late 90s, there was about a 10 to 15 year stretch there where all of the greatest baseball movies were ever made, and they all came out. You're talking about everything from the G to the R genre. You're talking about everything from Little Big League, Rookie of the Year. Sandlot comes out during this time, but you've also got Bull Durham. you got Major League. All that stuff happened while we were kids. And so the emotional attachment, you know, you go to where the audience is. So at the time, that was what sort of provided the adhesive between my generation and baseball. What romanticized baseball to us, uh, contrary to popular opinion, was not sitting around listening to folks tell stories about the Iron Horse, about, about Lou Gehring, about Babe Ruth. All that's great. The movies, the great string of movies that came out, that's what connected me and an entire generation of young people to the sport of baseball. They didn't get it. 
Major League Baseball didn't get it. They thought the on-field product was what brought us back. That's not what brought us back. That's not what brought me back. I can guarantee you that. And I certainly can also guarantee I'm not alone. This video game is this modern day's version for college football of what that stretch of cinema was for Major League Baseball. And I'm telling you, it hasn't been long enough yet to really cost you. But if you went a few more years and you slice that product, that college football video game, which is the lifeblood of your brand's rejuvenation effort with younger demographics year over year, if you were to take that out and remove it for a generation, you might as well slice a gap of demo out of the the facet and the fabric of your sport because they're gone. Because this right here is the connectivity. As much as me watching The Sandlot taught me more about Babe Ruth than any 1927 Yankees film did, this video game, whether you identify with it or not, this video game is the connective tissue between an entire generation of mainly younger folks and your sport. So while everyone, I just want to give a little word of advice. I know there's not one centralized decision maker here, but while there are a lot of people out there talking about whether a four-team or an eight-team playoff is the key to the future health of college football, or people are talking about whether G5 teams are included in the college football playoff, whether that's central to the health of the sport, you better figure out a way to get this back on track. And it looks for all the world like the snowball has been kicked down the hill, but you better figure out a way to get this back on track because... I mean, we look right here at how long it's been. If you're watching on YouTube, I mean, 2014, like I said, it's been over half a decade now since you had a new version of this game. So I'm very hopeful. I mean, this may be, at this point, the only thing that would ever bring me back to the table to play video games. But even even if I never pick up the stick, I don't really care about that. I care that there are tens of millions of folks out there who want to. And from from an overall health standpoint, it's really important. Trust me, it is vitally important. And you can tell the decision makers know it. Because, uh, you know, those data and analytics reports, those reports that show you uh, and you've paid a lot of money for them exactly who is and isn't watching, you start seeing these little these little dips and you start seeing this and you start seeing that. And it's like, well, hmm, is this COVID? No, it's not. Is this uh, is, is their program just irrelevant? No, that's not it. What's missing? What's missing? And they're all looking right here. And the reasons are way over here in the corner. It's something that doesn't exist that's creating the dip. So get the game back by almost any means necessary, get the game back. Appreciate you watching tonight. Make sure if you haven't already subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. It also really helps us out, probably more than a subscription. It helps us out if you just simply like the video. Just a little thumbs up, you know, be a hitchhiker for two seconds for us. Give us that thumbs up. We really appreciate the support. Also, uh, if you're looking to hop in one of those Sports media, kind of curiosity, YouTube channel, podcast curiosity, Zoom sessions with me. Got a couple of spots open for later next week. They fill up pretty fast. So joshpate706 at gmail.com or on Twitter at LateKickJosh. DMs are always open. Please follow me there as well. Uh, Had fun tonight. We'll be back here Sunday night, same time as always. So for Director Emeritus Colin, who's in here, we got a whole crew up in Stamford, Connecticut, punching the show. We appreciate everyone and most importantly, appreciate you for watching. Have a great rest of your week. We'll see you back Sunday night. Take care and God bless. Now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. 
reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.